0: Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.
1: An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Hey,
0: everybody. We got a disturbing one today, but frustrating for a change. And that's because we're talking about big tech So frustrating. We've done that a number of times here. We talked about Amazon and antitrust issues with Frank Four of the Atlantic Monthly. We've talked with Amy Klobuchar, chair of the Antitrust Judiciary Committee about big tech. And when you should know it, we talked about antitrust and big tech. Uh, we talked to Zephyr Teachout and Roger McNamee about Google and Apple and Amazon on antitrust issues, but also about Facebook and the very dangerous spread of disinformation on all these platforms that is very uh, destructive of our uh, democracy. You'll remember that Facebook allowed Cambridge Analytica to capture the data of uh, up to 87 million Facebook users in the United States. And that data ended up helping Russia steal the 2016 presidential election. Now, we can't say definitively that that through the election to Trump, but it did. It definitely did. Now, I could go into a long explanation, but I will say a couple of things. We know from the Mueller report that Paul Manafort gave Konstantin Kalimnik, a Russian agent, internal Trump polling data from Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, which Kalimnik no doubt passed on to the Russian Internet Research Agency uh, which used the Cambridge Analytica data to target Black voters in Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania, ones who had looked up Black Lives Matter on Facebook, and uh, Russians. Then the Russians then sent them stuff about Hillary, calling Black teenagers super predators in the '90s, and the undervotes in just Detroit, Milwaukee, and Philadelphia cost Hillary the election and gave us Donald Trump. Now I can't prove any of that last part, but I'm convinced that Facebook gave us Donald Trump. Oh, and January 6th well, while I'm at it. And that's kind of a subset of the subject of today's podcast. Harvard Business School professor Shoshana Zuboff has coined a construct, I guess a, yeah, a construct, surveillance capitalism. And basically it's about how big tech is constantly collecting data about us and every click we all make we're talking trillions of data points, and their algorithms are constantly crunching the data that they're constantly collecting on us all the time, and how their algorithms know us better than we know ourselves. And then they monetize all that, and it's about how this is destroying our kids' brains our brains, our democracy, spreading disinformation. 17% of Americans think the Democratic Party kidnaps and molests kids and drinks their blood. 17%. One out of six Americans believe that. It is, in my mind, a, a perfectly brilliant construct. Surveillance, capitalism, basically what you'll hear Zuboff say is that right at the beginning of this tech revolution, the state of revolution, we just said, you know, this is a capitalist country. You know, the market is the most efficient way to create innovation and wealth. Milton Friedman, The Economist, everyone was Friedman. And now we have a small number of these incredibly powerful megadata gathering companies like Google, which owns YouTube, like Amazon and Apple and Facebook or Meta. And they are too powerful and we have to change the model. Otherwise, we're doomed to be at the mercy of these companies for the rest of time. That's the disturbing part, which you'll be hearing from Professor Zuboff and Roger McNamee, a venture capitalist who, who helped Mark Zuckerberg capitalize Facebook and who warned us what was happening on Facebook in the lead-up to the 2016 election. Roger joined Shoshana Zuboff, but this is her jam. And it's scary, and it's important for all of you to hear. The frustrating part? not that clear what the path is out of here. These companies have tons and tons of money and lobbyists, including the children of some of the most powerful people in Congress. But it starts with wrapping our brains around this, and more and more people are. So here goes Shoshana Zuboff and Roger McNamee on surveillance capitalism. It's a disturbing and kind of frustrating one for a change, but not that big a change if you think about it. A lot of stuff is disturbing and frustrating, like the looming debt ceiling. Holy Christ, that is scary and is bound to be a shit show. But to, for today, Surveillance capitalism. Did you know that learning actually makes a sound? It's true. Listen. That's the sound of you learning a new language with Babbel. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations and delivered with conversation-based teaching. So, you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. For example, let's say you're in Berlin and you want to visit the Fuhrer bunker. It's pretty simple, actually. Wo ist der Fuhrer bunker? Studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Here is a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at Babbel.com slash Franken. Get 55% off at Babbel.com Franken, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash franken rules and restrictions may apply
2: you can live out your master chef dreams when you find a professional on angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well inside to outside repairs to renovations get started on the angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.
0: The subject is uh, surveillance capitalism. Is this uh, something you coined, Trishana? Yes. Tell tell me in a number of words. I I, I heard you talk about this. Uh, it has to do with frogs. Go, go ahead.
2: Well, I like to say at this point. Um, My book, The Age of Surveillance Capitalism, was published in Mm -hmm. January 2019. So, 19, 20, 21, 22. Here we are in 23, going into the fifth year. And it's only now I feel like I can summarize this big fat book in a few words. In fact, I can summarize it in five words. Dear Frogs. It's boiling. Jump. The frogs are friends, family, colleagues, all the people who live in our communities. And the frogs write back to me, dear Shoshana, okay, we hear you. P.S. Where should we jump? And that's the world that surveillance capitalism has created for us, Al, a world in which The waters of dystopia are boiling and rising fast all around us. And when we look for the escape route, how do we get out of here? How do we get on some alternate path to the future? Right now, those escape routes are not visible. And that's because surveillance capitalism has eaten the world. It's eaten our economy, and it's eating the global economy.
0: And it has a very serious political dimension. We just saw it in Brazil. We
2: just saw it in Brazil. Uh, Bravo, yes.
0: Something that mirrors what happened January 6th in our country and as a product of disinformation that is distributed um, through this system of, of surveillance capitalism.
2: It's not just that disinformation is distributed by these systems, is that these systems are engineered to maximize disinformation. The more inflammatory, the more grotesque, the better, because the machines aren't judging. The systems don't know what's good information or bad information. The machines are are part of these systems that are designed to be blind by design. Let's
0: give a concrete example. Roger, on Facebook, you were one of the people who sounded the alarm early on, on Facebook during the 2016 election. They are sending people disinformation. We've been discussing that for a long time.
3: The way I would describe it, Ella, is that. Uh, so understand that I very much believe in Shoshana's vision of how this is working, which is this is something that began as an economic system, that it has literally eaten everything. So it's also a political system now, almost by default, in that what it allows is for control of the digital environment that people live in. And in doing so, it can be used by bad actors to create an alternative reality and manipulate the choices available to people. And- in doing so, manipulate their actual behavior. And the example I use for January 6th is if you take out the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers and look at the thousands of other people who attacked the Capitol and attacked those police officers, if you'd asked them two years earlier, could you imagine yourself in that situation of attacking our government or attacking police officers? I would guess that very few, perhaps none of them, could have imagined themselves in that situation what happened in between is that they were on facebook radicalized into qAnon which you know took their fears inflamed them
0: and what's unbelievable to me is i i guess 17% of americans now believe what qanon tells us which well, is that they're Powerful people that that have kidnapped uh, children that are pedophiles, etc.
3: Well, QAnon has evolved to be this sort of gigantic umbrella for all of the conspiracy theories that prevail at large scale. And the key thing to understand is that Facebook, the way it became so valuable, is that it created a system built around attention where, you know, knowing fully well that the best way to grab attention is to scare the hell out of people. Okay.
0: I think this is Shoshana, am I right in saying that the Facebook model is kind of a perfect example of surveillance capitalism with that? Their model is they know you better than you know yourself. They collect every click. They know what keeps you on the platform. Their platform is about advertising. You're the product, right? And so, is, is this a great, a good way to understand surveillance capitalism or at least uh, an entry point?
2: Let me roll back just a, a little bit earlier than that, because um, the real breakthrough, Al, came at Google. And because, you know, Facebook is social media and it's right in the center of all of our, our worst political problems We tend to talk about Facebook a lot and we let Google off the hook, (laughs) but Google is very much on the hook. The, the big breakthrough at Google in the year 2001 was a discovery that was so brazen and audacious and crazy that it took years for anybody to guess that, that this thing was really going on. And the discovery was that Predictions of human behavior could be sold just like tons of wheat or barrels of oil. It was Larry Page who understood that you could secretly collect behavioral signals from people in anything they did, anything available to a sensor, anything available to an internet connection, anything available to a camera or a microphone you could collect behavioral signals, you could use those behavioral signals in complex ways to predict behavior, and then you could make a fortune selling those predictions because there is no one on planet earth who doesn't want to know the future, especially the future of what you will do, what you will spend, and what you will spend it on. So, This breakthrough, the commodification of the human, that it was going to be everything entailed in what we had thought of as our private experience that was going to be the source of the next big chapter of capitalism, the commodification of the human. And they understood right from the start that the most obvious initial market, For these predictions, were advertisers. Thus was born online targeted advertising. Over at Facebook, Facebook was, um, you know, came on stream around the time that Google went public. Google went public in 2004. In 2001, their venture investors were threatening to pull out. It was the dot com bust. Those boys at Google did not know how to make money yet. And it was under the threat, the absolute terror, that they would go bra- bankrupt just like as um, Sergey Brin called it, all the other schmucks in Silicon Valley. That struck terror in their hearts and it was under the pressure of that terror that they came up with this really kind of science fiction Orwellian vision of the path to monetization. Or just good business. Well, well, (laughs) You can call it Orwellian,
0: but they're going like, you know what? We get all this information in people and we could sell it. And uh, then we don't have to go broke.
2: And that's, that's really an important point. They're not just collecting our information and selling it. If they were just collecting our information and selling it, we could have some control over, you know, what information we're divulging. The fact is that they're collecting behavioral signals that we don't even know we are emitting. Explain that. Just All right, explain for that. For example, um, I'm walking down the street and they're, it's, they're not just picking up information about what street I'm on or, you know, what city I'm in. They're picking up information about the stoop of my shoulders. They're picking up information about. Wait, whoa,
0: whoa, whoa! How are they do? It? How are they? How do they know the stoop of your sh- shoulder? Explain.
2: Because there are cameras and devices and facial recognition systems, and these things are embedded all over our built environment now, and that's exactly what they anticipated.
0: Was it embedded then when they figured this out or or this just, (laughs) they built and built on this, right?
2: Page understood as early as 2001, and this is almost verbatim of what he said, sensors will be cheap, devices will be cheap, cameras will be cheap. Everything about every aspect of your life, everything, everywhere you go, everything that you do, will be searchable and indexable. That was his vision in 2001.
3: And we have gotten on board with this, with this whole luxury, you know, surveillance business, ring doorbells, Alexa, the Roomba, Vacuum setting pairs. your thermostat all exactly all of these things are tracking <laughs> your behaviors smart watches which are tracking your heart rate think well, about this on, just, or your phone so, well, yeah. everything is on your phone, phone right? and, uh, where, exactly. you, which tells you where you are but not just that if it's coordinated with your smart watch it knows what your heart rate is so Shoshana's point about knowing your state of mind at a moment in time. All of the data is available in a market.
0: Those bastards! you mean they? The smartwatch
3: can measure your heart rate. Well, you know, you can see that there could be positive aspects to that, but there are also no, no, no. no. Of course, negative the... aspects to every piece of. Them.
0: So, what makes you excited? Like what pro- uh, What kind of product you want to buy? Or well,
3: right now I'm or in. What the makes you angry? Of... Well, all of this makes me incredibly frustrated because we bought into a mythology that technology would always make our lives better and that anything new was better than what came before it. And for at least the past dozen years, the tech industry has used that as cover for increasingly predatory business models and products that are genuinely unsafe. And to a first approximation, every new product that's come out since the financial crisis in 2009 is unsafe in a classical sense. We're talking about things like artificial intelligence, we're talking about smart devices, cryptocurrency, self-driving cars. Essentially, by wow, <laughs>
0: cryptocurrency.
3: But <laughs> I mean, essentially all of these things are unsafe in a traditional sense, in that, that whatever good there is from them is offset usually by multiples, by potential harm. So you think about artificial intelligence when they apply it to "You're looking for a job. There are all of these biases that are built into the systems because they're made very badly. And as a consequence, if you are old, if you are female, if you are a person of color, discrimination is built into these black boxes. And the same thing is true for housing and almost every other application. So we're talking about trillions of data points
0: being collected. Daily. Trillions daily?
2: See, part of the problem, I'm really glad you brought up the word trillions. Part of the problem here is that what is going on is so vast and unprecedented that it really strains credulity, and it's also very difficult for our minds to grasp the scale of what is occurring.
0: That, that's why I'm talking to you and why I'm asking dumb questions because...
2: So it's very useful when we get, you know, we, we rely on informants and whistleblowers and leaked documents. And there was a, a leaked document from, we're back to Facebook 2018, describing what it calls it, its AI backbone, its AI hub. And that's essentially what what we're all talking about right now. And what they describe in this um, internal memo is that Facebook's AI, in, back in 2018, is ingesting, their word, trillions of data points every day to produce thousands of models every day in order to produce six million behavioral predictions, wait for it, Al, every second.
0: Okay. So, (laughs) okay. It's hard to wrap your head around. It's hard to wrap your head
2: around it. Nobody can. The simple way of thinking about
3: this, though, is Mm -hmm. that in 1981, when Reagan became president, the United States decided to run a second experiment of unregulated capitalism. And
0: so, since 1981- Regulated started in the 30s with correct. FDR. Well, okay. it, started,
3: it started a little bit earlier than that, but it didn't get serious with, until In FDR the, the really, progressive era, with, okay. With, with the, exactly. So, the New Deal, we focused on collective action. It blew up because of Vietnam War and the Arab oil embargo. So, Reagan comes in. We do a second experiment with unregulated capitalism, which has just blown up because of- combination of COVID and the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Well, it's blown up earlier than that, right? I well, know. no, I mean, it, it's really blown up now. Though. Okay. The world okay. is really different. And the reason it matters is because the tech companies lived in an environment where their only duty was to maximize shareholder value. Now, that was true for all companies, but the That's tech right. companies had special advantages because they were creating all these tools that would gather the sensors that would gather data everywhere. They were creating the AI and they had convinced us that all of this was good. And so, as a consequence, we worked on these products. We used Facebook, where we created all the value in Facebook. We used Twitter, where we created all the value. Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, all of these things. We are the labor. We are the means of production. So, we create all this value for them. At the same time, we did not hold them accountable for really obvious harm. And the harms have been escalated. They've been incredibly obvious now, since Now, well, when 2016. we're talking about the
0: harms, what are we talking about besides disinformation. Are well, we also let's, talking about- let's
3: just talk about results. So, in, in what got my attention was initially I see hate speech during the early 2016 presidential primary, but the critical element was the Brexit referendum in the United Kingdom, where it was really obvious that one side had used Facebook in particular to create a false narrative or rea- alternate reality that wound up playing a role in b- And, Brexit and was that Russian propaganda or? Well, it, let's put it this way, the, 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 the pro-Brexit people or right were in wing. charge of it. Whether they were supported by the Russians, there's some evidence that they were, but it, it really doesn't matter. The critical thing is that the tool was there. And then the same forces, particularly Cambridge Analytica and others, were used by the Trump campaign in the 2016 election to suppress votes very, very, very successfully the key thing is that those things didn't let's lie. be
0: specific about that because i've always had this theory remember how you would hear like we don't know if the russian interference <laughs> changed any votes and yes it did it, it well, but to be clear, it.
3: forget uh, take russia out of this no okay? i
0: want to i want to put russia in for just a second just stay with me because we know that manafort handed off to kalimnik their internal polling right of pennsylvania michigan Uh, Wisconsin. uh, And they combined that with what they got from Cambridge Analytica and targeted African Americans in Detroit and Milwaukee and and in Philadelphia. And the
3: difference in those states was so small. The critical thing was that Cambridge Analytica was able to match 30 million voters, the actual voter files of 30 million Americans. This is on In an election where 220 million people were registered to vote, so one in seven Americans, they were able to match them to Facebook IDs. Mm -hmm. So this is what is known as a custom audience. Now, normally you have a custom audience of 5,000 people against an American population of say 330 million. In this case, they had 30 million on 220 million. It allowed them to have a level of precision using the tools inside Facebook for targeting that was unprecedented. And remember, we had never been through that experience before. So people had no natural defenses against it.
0: So my understanding is that, that people who had searched the Black Lives Matter, who were you know, African-Americans in Detroit and in Milwaukee and, and in Philadelphia, and you know why I'm focusing on those cities. That those people were sent stuff about Hillary saying uh, super predators and that kind of stuff.
3: And it wasn't just black people. It was also young people Yep, and suburban white women. But Mm -hmm. the, the core point I would make, Alice, nobody ever learned what happened with the Russian hacks of the Democratic National Committee or the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, which had all of the internal data for the Democratic Party. So if Trump had had that, that would have made the targeting a lot easier. No one has ever disclosed whatever happened with those Russian hacks. That's an important question. But the key thing to understand was the tools inside Facebook were enough. Once they legitimately, you know, the data that Cambridge Analytica got, it got in a completely inappropriate way, but there's nothing that says a and campaign that, that can't was use Facebook
0: that data. violating their consent well, Facebook agreement. Facebook
3: effectively, yes, face, but they effectively sold that data
0: in violation, right, which of was that. in violation of the consent. <laughs> to, and and then I think we discussed that last time you were on. They were fined what five billion dollars. I mean nothing, right?
3: The problem with this whole thing is that there's no requirement. You know, if you have a, a steel mill or you have a, a some other dangerous, potentially dangerous thing. There are all kinds of rules, you know, firearms. There are all kinds of rules for how you're supposed to handle things. Automobiles. There's no rules for what internet platforms or other technology products have. (laughs) And and there need to be. We need to have something like the Food and Drug Administration that simply sits there and says, look, in order for these products to be in the marketplace, they need to be safe. That's one class. The second problem, and this is the one where Shoshana's done all of the work is the business model they're using is just completely unethical. And I, I want to let Shoshana be the one yeah, no, I want about this because with- this is her thing. And then we've allowed these guys, of course, to get so big that they can prevent anybody else from coming into their markets. So those are the three issues. You've got the issue of culture, which is the lack of safety, the issue of business model, which is surveillance capitalism. And then you have the issue of competition, which is really about monopolies. Those three things are out there. And the question we face as a country is, do we believe in democracy? Do we believe in the right of self-determination? Because the business that these companies are in today is not consistent with those two values.
0: Shoshana, do you agree with i You know, when we
2: talk about the water boiling, the water didn't start out boiling. It's taken 20 years for the water to get to the point where um, in the rural community where I live, Al, folks who do not study this, have no idea about, you know, the things that are written in this space or anything like it.
0: Well, that's 99.99% of people.
2: But yeah. regular folks, I hear them talking every single day, asking me questions every single day. Things like I was sitting around the, the kitchen table with my mom and we were talking about going to town and buying my son a jacket and an hour later, there was an ad on my screen for that jacket, Shoshana, are they listening to me? A woman I met in a cafe the other day who said, um, I just got off the phone with the bank and they told me I would never have any more problems with the bank because while I was on the phone with them, they took my voice ID and now they have my voice ID. I didn't give them permission to do that. How can they do that to me?
0: Well, you're supposed to be delighted.
2: Yeah, you're supposed to be delighted. (laughs) When you
0: call them, this is a convenient fee. They don't have to check up on you.
2: That's not the actual response. And Al, it never has been. Since the very early 2000s, at Google and later at Facebook, which was the first follower, Facebook was the first follower, they understood right from the beginning, Al, that If people knew what they were doing, people would look for the escape hatch, they would look for camouflage, they would protest, they would resist, they would produce friction. And friction would be costly. And so right from the beginning, they understood that it all had to be hidden, ergo surveillance. None of this monetization, none of these online markets would have been possible the trillions of dollars in market capitalization that have occurred in the last two decades would not have been possible had it not been for the hidden secret operations that produced the massive scale extraction of the human. Bill Clinton and Al Gore in 1997 published their white paper when they were in the White House, published their white paper on e-commerce laying out the rules for this new information and communication space
0: and that would be free enterprise and not the government
2: and the very first the very first principle that they stated in this manifesto was that the private sector must lead government must get out of the way if there are any laws on the books that will obstruct the young internet companies We're going to take them off the books, and we're going to make sure that no new laws are created. Democracy is slow, they said. Government doesn't understand. We've got to get out of the way because only these new internet companies understand what to do. The big picture here is that surveillance capitalism is what happened when American democracy stood down. This is a case of democratic, voluntary, self-evisceration, getting out of the way and abdicating these critical new digital spaces of information and communication to the private sector without any law to constrain them as a matter of policy.
0: And when did it become evident that... This this road we went down, you know, is has led to what you are talking about. And is it possible to stop
3: that? I mean, it became evident to Shoshana, Mm -hmm. what, 15 years ago, Shoshana? She saw it right away. The rest of us were much slower to figure it out. Why don't you say something, Shoshana?
2: She t- oh, my God, Al. <laughs>
3: <laughs> There's something about screaming know. into the wind. She <laughs> did. I mean, Shoshana's been on this from literally from before it was really fully developed. To me, we're in a place today. We can't relitigate the past, but we can ask what we're going to do about it now. Yeah. And when you look at Friedman, the if you distill his ideas from a government perspective, The idea that stuck and became the linchpin of the whole thing was this notion that economic efficiency as measured by consumer prices was the only thing that mattered. And you have to imagine that as a country, we were founded with two principles that we didn't actually do very well at the beginning, but we viewed as goals we would improve on. One was this notion of democracy, one person, one vote. Universal suffrage. It took a long time. We're still working on it, but that was a goal. The other was this notion of self-determination. Each one of us is entitled to make his or her own choices. The Friedman Revolution, among its many core values, rejected those things. And it, it absolutely became mainstream, but that doesn't mean it's right. How did it reject well, it, it basically said that economic efficiency is unbelievably it, – it's the highest value of, of, of everything. And so, as a consequence, concentrated economic power was viewed by them as a good thing.
0: And, and some of the progressive values it talked about that predated the New Deal was antitrust, well, that, breaking that, up, and that, that ended with
3: Reagan. But that right? goes back to the Boston Tea Party, which was a rebellion against the, the tea monopoly of England. You know, so this notion of entrepreneurial capitalism as distinct from monopolistic capitalism was one of the principles on which the country was founded. And Friedman essentially caused us to do an experiment for better part of 50 years now where we have been testing what happens if you throw all that out and you allow capital to have all the advantages. And the answer is that you get massive income inequality. export jobs overseas, you wind up having supply chains that cannot respond to a national crisis like a pandemic. Whatever you thought about the state of capitalism before the pandemic, you have to look at it and recognize that markets were incapable of responding to a collective calamity
0: no, we also had a president who refused
3: it, it, But <laughs> to, we to change. We, we changed presidents and we still haven't solved the problem. One of the things I really admire about Shoshana, there's so many things I admire, but she's been so crystal clear on this core point that we have engaged in a very extreme experiment and it has produced really extreme harms. And... The harms are getting bigger. Yeah, January 6th, right? You thought 2016 was bad. It was bad. But January 6th was an insurrection. It was much worse. And the same tools were used to create it. Whatever you thought about disinformation, by the time you get to the pandemic and converting what should have been an event that brought us all together, that caused us all to recognize our shared values and our shared interests. The notion that these platforms, that this technology was used to convert a pandemic into a political issue.
0: And part of that was the president of the United States. who I,
3: I, I'm not going to dispute that, but, but the issue persists. We've changed presidents and we have not solved the problem. It isn't just about Trump. It is about the fact that we trust the private sector with issues that it's clearly not incentivized to deal with. Pandemics require a global response. Well,
0: it was the largest global crisis since World War II. But
3: we have done nothing to ensure the availability of vaccines in the global south. As a consequence, you've left huge portions of the global population at risk, and therefore you allow the viruses to adapt And and mutate. And, you know, I look at all this and the correct response to all this stuff was a national initiative and then a global initiative of Everybody on one side, we're going to solve this problem everywhere at the same time. Well, you know,
0: it, in this is a smaller thing, but Ebola, the United States led in that, in a global effort. And this was our, this president, Trump, gave it to the states. So uh, there is a difference in the leadership.
3: There was a difference at a critical moment in time, but. The change in presidents has not put us back on track.
0: We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Joshana Zuboff and Roger McNamee.
1: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing
3: mint mobile unlimited premium wireless how to get 30 30 to get 30 about to get 20 20 20 get 20
1: 20 get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month so give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees Promoting for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com most weight loss plans are one size fits all And check out
2: Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to
1: promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.
0: What do we do about this? Because we know what the harms are. We've seen the harms. We saw the harms in 2016.
3: We have a moment of opportunity here because I do believe the combination of the Russian invasion of Ukraine and COVID has ended the economic era that began with, with Reagan, which is the era of capital being essentially free and everything being unregulated and global. Because countries for some period of time are not going to subordinate their national security interest to economic growth the way we have for the last 30 years. And the result of that is to undermine some of the underpinnings of the tech industry and to create a window of opportunity to change our policies on the economy. This is going to require the listeners on this show and every other person in America to stand up and say something to the president of the United States, to their members of Congress, and to their state governments that, excuse me, Surveillance capitalism is a huge part of the problem, and we need to have an economy that addresses the real problems, climate change, the failure of education, the failure of healthcare, failure of transportation. We need to actually direct the country's technology resources towards real
0: problems. Let me ask just a couple of questions. These companies are powerful companies. These are huge, powerful companies. They have more lobbyists now than... The fossil fuel industry, this, from my experience in Washington, it was hard to get. For example, I fought well, Comcast Time Warner a cable. I couldn't get any Democrats well, that's on that the point. fight.
3: And Al, I spent, as you know, five years in Washington arguing for a different approach to technology. And in every single case, we didn't need the Republicans to shoot it down because, you know, you have the the. Democratic majority leader in the Senate, you know, his daughter, one daughter works at Facebook, the other one works at Amazon. You have a key lieutenant to Nancy Pelosi, whose daughter works at Google. You have a member of the Federal Trade Commission whose husband's the chief lobbyist. That's my
2: point. Okay, the question question now is the theory of change and the idea that we're going to, you know, uh, keep pounding on, Reluctant lawmakers um, for this regulation and that regulation. The point here is that we cannot regulate our way out of this meta crisis. So what do
0: we do? What what is the the path
2: path, that you're suggesting? The the theory of change, in Mm -hmm. my view, must shift. Instead of focusing on the tech companies and begging the tech companies to change, we've got to stop that. Just stop it right now. Instead of just arguing, begging our lawmakers to pass another bill to create this protection, to create that regulation, we have to shift to the people. It's very important to know that when you look at all the survey data, Literally every survey, including stuff that's been done right up through this year. In America, in any case, the survey data shows that American citizens are way ahead of their lawmakers. People are angry. People are saying, I'd rather have privacy than convenience. People are saying these tech companies have too much power. People are are saying we want our lawmakers to create laws to change to protect us. It's the lawmakers because of political capture, as you mentioned, the lobbyists, because of the sheer fact that no one is forcing them into change. Our lawmakers have been able to get away with this, this democratic self-evisceration. And while Roger says that, you know, the Freedman era is over, I cannot agree with that. Because surveillance capitalism is no longer a story about Silicon Valley and the tech companies. Surveillance capitalism is a story about the healthcare industry, the insurance industry, the education industry, the transportation industry, the agricultural industry. This paradigm has swallowed every economic sector.
0: Okay. So it sounds like we're
2: fucked. We're not fucked for the following reason. Okay, I want to hear this. (laughs) You know, we went into the depression, Al, in a world where every court case and nearly every piece of legislation upheld employers' property rights over all other considerations. And it was during the fourth decade of the 20th century that we finally established in law the rights that would protect workers and the rights that would protect consumers and the rights that would protect children. And then we went beyond that. We established the legislative frameworks that would oversee and enforce those rights. And then we went beyond that. We established the public institutions that we still depend upon today, the public institutions that would stand not within the executive branch, not within the judicial branch, but the public institutions that would stand year in and year out, no matter what party or what individual was in power. And they would enforce those rights of every American. So what does that look like? We're talking about political change. So let's look at Europe. The laws that have been passed in Europe in the year 2022, fundamentally change the environment that we're talking about in Europe. These pieces of legislation, the Digital Services Act, the Digital Markets Act, this is the first time that something absolutely critical has happened that should have happened 20 years ago. It's the first time that the big tech companies fall under the purview of democratic Governance—the very first time. So now there are laws, there are audit procedures, there are um, laws that stipulate teams of people who go into the companies who get to open up the the engine, look under the hood, understand algorithms, understand what uh, destructive things are being done. There are stipulations for very sizable fines and um, other kinds of financial penalties. Does that
0: happen in the United States?
2: The change begins with the realization that nothing that we are experiencing in this digital era is inevitable. Everything that the surveillance capitalists have foisted upon us we have accepted it as the inevitable consequence of living in a digital world. Nothing could be further from the truth. People are beginning to understand that none of this is inevitable. It's companies getting rich in a way that produces categorical harms to people, society, and democracy.
0: And, and under beginning to understand that is the start and of beginning this, to of the whole att- that and that's what we're doing that here that
2: sound barrier of inevitability is the start. Europe has done that. Europe has now got its democratic leg over big tech. that's the bottom line in Europe right now. Is it all the way to the abolition of this fundamental act of theft that never should have been allowed to stand in the first place? No, does it create the conditions? where that becomes discussable and something that people can organize and mobilize around? Yes, absolutely. When we begin to say that the cyberspace is no special, crazy, magical dimension, but it has to be subservient and submissive to every democratic law and value and norm that adheres in the rest of society, including being safe for children. When we do that, we break the aura of inevitability because making cyberspace safe for children today means that we make it safe for adults tomorrow. This is how it starts.
0: Well, that's what we're talking about. Getting that, that viewpoint out, getting that people to understand what the structure is of, of the internet now and 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 i want to thank you for doing that well i i hope you enjoyed uh listening that beautiful music is by leo kotke the great leo kotke i want to thank peter ogburn for producing this podcast we'll talk again next week